Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Cara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Welcome to our wrap-up episode for season three of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Steph, what a ride. What a journey we've been on. This season was fire. This was such a good season. I can't believe we finished it already. I'm a little bit in shock. I'm, I'm humbled that we got through it. I mean, we, we could go back and watch yeah, it. Yeah, why don't we just start over again? Season three, do over. <laughs> we don't want it to end. High school never ends. Um, yeah, I can't believe... <sighs> that we're already out of the high school years. I said this in graduation day part two, that I was just, I'm melancholy. Like, I'm just very sad to see those years behind us because they're the formative years of the Buffy series. Like, this season Indeed. wrapped everything up really beautifully for high school, but it's still sad to go. It's sad to leave that world. We didn't even take a moment to mourn the haunted locker room, the dreaded locker room that got blown up and at the in the last couple scenes of that episode. The library, we didn't get to say goodbye. We got all the books and the weapons, I hope, but we didn't say goodbye to the library. The the nurse's office, <laughs> the pool. <laughs> There's so many rooms in that school that we'll never see again. And it's very sad. Well, again, as I pointed out in our recap of Graduation Day Part 2, that was a lot of explosions <laughs> if all the explosives were concentrated in the library it's unclear to me why the rest of the school blew up <laughs> um, but you know we'll roll with it so for the benefit of our listeners here as we have done with previous season wrap-ups the first part of our discussion is going to be spoiler free as usual so we're just going to look backwards at this season bless you sorry i was i was gonna feel it coming on and i was holding it until i finished the sentence that was a cute sneeze i'm gonna leave it in <laughs> um and then at the end of the episode we will have a spoiler section where steph and i discuss season three in the context of the whole series and we will make it very clear when we're starting the spoiler section so anybody who's watching the show for the first time and doesn't want spoilers you can stop listening to the episode at that point but until then Listen on for our thoughts on this season. So where do you want to start, Steph? Do you want to start by just discussing maybe some of our, our top episodes? Yeah, let's pick our favorite episodes. And there are so many. It's hard to pick, actually. Uh, but like we can just go through and name them. Uh, for me, prom hit harder this rewatch than it ever has before. Prom stands out to me. It's It was so good. It was so real and raw and emotional, but also like a really nice send off for all of the main character relationships that happened uh, throughout the first three seasons of the show. And then leading up to the big fantastical explosions of the last two episodes of the season. I think prom really stands out. I agree. Um, I loved the discussion that we had for prom because... I feel like we did a lot of kind of soul searching 
with regards <laughs> to how we feel about Buffy and Angel's relationship. You know, as I've said previously, I'm not like fully on board with Angel as you are at this point, Steph, but this rewatch and my discussions with you have definitely softened me towards the relationship in a way that I wasn't in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know about like top episodes because I, I think, like, the first third of the season, like, the first seven episodes from Anne all the way up until Revelations, it's this really solid storytelling arc because you have Buffy coming back from Los Angeles. And then you have the recrimination and reconciliation with the Scoobies and Dead Man's Party. Mm-hmm. Faith, Hope, and Trick obviously introduces two of the most important characters in season three. Beauty and the Beasts brings back Angel. Homecoming is one of the funniest episodes of the whole season, in my opinion. <laughs> and Cordelia shines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Band Candy, which we did a table read for with Becoming Buffy so because it's such a great episode. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Revelations, which is where all the secrets come out. Everybody else learns that Angel's alive. Um, we get an evil watcher who is, of course, a woman because women are evil. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not sure I can pick a favorite among those episodes. If I had to, I might say Homecoming. But I think that's the main difference for me between season three and season two. Because in season two, we were off to a rocky start. There were a few filler episodes at the beginning of season two. Um, it, It took a while for it to get into that arc of Buffy and Angel and then Angelus, right? I think season three just starts strong right out of the gate. And then when we get into the middle third of the season, like The Wish. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite. I think of The Wish. I know it introduces Anya and there is the doppelganger line is this, the sequel afterwards. But The Wish is one of my favorite standalones um, in the sense that I, I think you can watch it without knowing too, too much about Buffy. Yeah. And still just really enjoy the premise. Bad Girls is probably the next big chunk. Yeah, I, like I think uh, there are a lot of episodes that are narratively very important for the season. But once we hit Bad Girls, yeah, like you're right. Other than maybe Earshot, which as we discussed in our recap, just doesn't work for me the way they want it to. Um, the last third of season three, as I kept saying in our recaps... Full of banger episodes, yeah. right? It was like every single recap. I was like, this is a banger episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's true. I think this is why I keep coming back and saying season three is one of my favorite seasons is because I have trouble choosing top episodes from this season. This season has consistently high quality. You can't say that about every season of Buffy. And that's actually impressive in any TV show, right? Is There are so many good episodes out of this 22-episode season. I really love how you packaged the season into these different categories because you're so right the first quarter all the way from and to revelations or around that time um for sure it's all about buffy coming back angel coming back and like it sets everything up for that then in the middle we have all these character development episodes like helpless the zeppo even doppelgangland to a degree um amends right or even gingerbread which is a nice little break but we still learn a little bit more about willow and her mother and their relationship there and joyce gets oh a little bit God, of a shine. sheila <laughs> yeah and joyce gets time to shine so like that's really cool in the middle and then, of course, Bad Girls hits all the way to graduation day, where it's the faith turns evil arc. And it's so nice. It, it, it's such fun to watch. And compared to season two, which is very much before Buffy has sex and after, <laughs> like having this really thought out season pays off 
And so by the end of it, you're just like, what a ride, like we said when we started talking about it. It just, when you watch it slowly, when you watch the season slowly week by week, prom just stood out because I was like, wow, like this is actually the end of something really big here, right? And it's happening before the season even ends. But I will also say that I really, really enjoyed our conversation about consequences. And that episode has never really stood out to me that much before either. But we had a great Mm. conversation with the fallout of Faith murdering Alan Finch and the way that she handled it or didn't handle it, as as we, as we talked about. There's there's too many standout episodes, to be honest. A dark horse for me this season also was Anne. You and I had a great time talking about the, the season opener and how Buffy was on her own in L.A. and the journey that she has to make with herself before she can come back to Sunnydale. The start of senior year, like that was really exciting. When we, you and I remember in that episode, yeah. we're like, we're in season three. Like we are, we are in season three <laughs> and it feels like the senior year. So I think maybe the next place we should go then is let's talk about Buffy's relationships with these other characters, because I think that is kind of one of the themes of season three is the changing nature of her relationships. When we start off the season, things are very rocky. Between her and Willow, her and her mom, mm-hmm. uh, even like her and Xander, because now Xander's dating Cordelia, and that's weird. And obviously, towards the middle of the season, we have some tension with Buffy reuniting with Angel, and people are unsure about that. And then, of course, you have that huge betrayal where Giles literally serves Buffy up on a platter to this vampire who also happens to kidnap her mom. Yeah. Um, And then you have the Buffy-Joyce dynamic, you know? So there's so much development for a lot of the the side characters, a lot of the main characters, and it all kind of comes back to Buffy has accepted now her role as the Slayer, but she's starting to realize that if she graduates high school and survives graduation, her role as a Slayer is always going to complicate her life. It complicates her ability to be to be in a romantic relationship and it complicates her ability to pursue further education. So I don't know where we want to start there. Well, no, I think Um, you said it really nicely with her relationships because as you just said, Buffy's growing up. Buffy's growing up and part of growing up as a slayer is not just accepting your slayer destiny, but it's also dealing with conflict with people. And that's, that's a very human thing mm -hmm. to go through and how to, how to fight with your friends, but still come out, with respect and love for each other, how to like deal with your mom, knowing this big secret now and finding that new relationship as you grow older, right? So equally, like as we were saying about the best episodes, the weakest episodes for me are at the beginning of the season where it's like Dead Man's Party, uh, Beauty and Mm -hmm. the Beasts, and you know, like even Revelations, which is a good episode, but it's also a downer because again, they have their uh, intervention with Buffy and that where, where things are tense. Nobody's using the I statements, Kyle. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Cordelia was. <laughs> I feel bad about me. <laughs> Cordelia only ever uses the I statements. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I want to talk about Buffy and Joyce because yeah. something that's very distinct to me about season three is Joyce now knows about Buffy being the Slayer. Mm-hmm. We kept that from her for two seasons. It was a huge point of conflict in the season two finale. And now... Joyce knows and she's like so on board right like I think it was was it gingerbread where she brings Buffy 
you know, dinner and a yes, bag. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, she's like, I just want to support you and your slaying, honey. She's trying because think back to season one where she would be like, is something bothering you? And Puffy would be like, no. She'd be like, okay. And then she'd leave, right? But here she's trying. She's growing as a mom, as a relationship with Puffy. Do we think that she switched like the strain of weed that she uses? Is that why? <laughs> like she was just too mellow in season one and now she's onto something that's maybe giving her a little bit more energy? Yeah. And... She moved from joints, from smoking joints every day after after work to drinking cbd which just chilled her out a, just the right amount and then she that's that's uh. what's kept her mellow but no i i love to see the progression in joyce in accepting buffy and trying to understand what the slayer gig is all about and at, you know when we left her at the end of becoming part two when she tells buffy if you leave you can't come back like that like the anger and the fighting um think about her at the end of season three where Buffy tells her to leave town for her own safety and she listens to Buffy. And I think that in itself, just seeing that difference in Joyce season finale to season finale is a big step for her accepting Buffy and trusting Buffy. Where before she'd been like, I'm not letting you out of my sight. But all (laughs) through the season, we saw her struggle for sure. Even Van Candy, when she had that little bit of rebellion. <laughs> like, you you get a slay. I don't want you to, but you do anyway. And she slept with Giles <laughs> twice. So that, and you even said, you said in Graduation Day Part 1, there's that role reversal where Buffy is starting to take care of her mom yeah. in the way that Joyce wanted to take, take care of Buffy. And I think that's a really great growth and change in their relationship. It's nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've got Buffy and Giles, I think, for me, is the other one. Because Giles, of course, loses his job. In this season, he gets fired. He gets casual from the yeah. Watchers Council. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Starts wearing sweaters. And <laughs> yeah, he betrays Buffy, and there's 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 a shift to their relationship. We kind of joked in Graduation Day. What was it? Part one that we've forgiven Giles because he's standing with Buffy even when Angel gets poisoned and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have we forgiven Giles though? Let's take a moment to think about this. Like what he did in Helpless was so awful. Yes. I think we were sufficiently hard on him in that episode. As we go into season four, you know, not knowing until we get to our spoiler section uh, what ha- happens with Giles and Buffy in season four, like, have we forgiven Giles? Do we think that that's, uh, this, this has been an appropriate amount of time and he's done enough to make amends? Yeah, we don't lie to our listeners, Kara. When we say we've forgiven him, we forgive him. <laughs> I, I do. I think enough time passed between helpless all the way to graduation day part two. And he did enough to make amends for what he did to her in Helpless. He really owned up to what he did. He did get fired. He did get punished for it. Mm-hmm. I, I know you and I mentioned a couple of times, we didn't think that the Scoobies were hard on him at all. It looked like by the end of the episode, Buffy had forgiven Giles. Or something mm-hmm. happened in the Zeppo where Giles did something really, really brave. And Buffy was like, <laughs> yeah, good I for you. Yeah, that. And yeah, that was a little bit of like writing that I'm just like, hmm. Right? Or... I was like, okay, so he just was forgiven off screen, I guess. But so for us, it wasn't enough. But by the time we got to graduation day part one and the way that he dealt with Wesley, the way he always sided with Buffy, no matter what, I think that was enough for me to get over the hump of being angry at him. That's a great way of putting it. I agree. I will add, I think one thing that makes Giles worth forgiving by the end of season three is how he's consistent. And he doesn't, ask Buffy for his forgiveness, right? He's not like, oh, Buffy, you know, I know I did a terrible thing to you 12 episodes ago. Um, Can you forgive me now? Right? It's like he knows he just has to keep working at it. Yes. And she may never forgive him completely, but she's still working with him. 
he's still in her life, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's a good lesson, which is when you screw up and you go to make amends and redeem yourself in somebody's eyes, yeah. it's not on you to dictate their timetable. And you may never fully get the closure that you'd like where they're like, oh, I forgive you. Everything's okay now. We're good. You may just move on, <laughs> right? And, and I think that's part of what this season is about, especially with Buffy and Angel. Yeah. I mean, before we get to the angel of it all, I do think that there are like three key moments in the season following Helpless where Giles really proved himself to Buffy, which led to the forgiveness on my end. The first one was in Consequences when he automatically knew that Faith was lying and not Buffy. And, you know, he played it off at first and we were like, oh, no, Giles, no. But then he's like, no, no, obviously you didn't do it. Like he showed that judgment. That was a Giles is my real dad moment. (laughs) Exactly. There's that moment. And then in Choices, when Willow gets kidnapped, um, it's Wesley who says, for the greater good, right? Maybe we should just let her die and whatever. It's not Giles. Giles is the one who like listens, but then he obviously sides with Buffy to save her. And that's a smaller one, but... Nonetheless, I think that mattered. And then in Graduation Day Part 1, when he again sides with Buffy to quit the council, because he's already over the council too. He's like, well, I have got fired. You may as well fire them too. But also takes care of Angel. And I think those were three big steps to lead to that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the whole Angel-Giles dynamic was something that they didn't play up enough in this season for me. And mm, they 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 leaned heavily into Angel and Buffy, which is great um, because I uh, that is a fascinating relationship and it's interesting to see how it came from the beginning. They get back together, they break up, they get back together again, and then he leaves for good. Uh, Giles never had even one scene alone with Angel, if I can remember, where they would have had some sort of interaction besides besides an amends when Angel goes to Giles for help. They never sit down mm. and like discuss what happened. Maybe they had like a tearful late night phone call. <laughs> it, it happened in the Zeppo. <laughs> we just didn't get to see. Um, it's possible, but I do think that was something that was missed in this season was yeah. that development of their relationship. It would have been nice to see. Speaking of something else that's missed, you and I have voiced our thoughts on Willow and Oz's development. Poor Oz. Honestly, Oz deserved more in this season. I expected more. Like even, I think you mentioned it in Graduation Day Part 2. Like, so, so he's just, we don't talk about him being a werewolf anymore. Like he just, it just is part (laughs) of his like lifestyle now. We don't, we don't have to do a storyline about it or anything like that. Um, Perhaps that'll come up in the future, right? Like maybe we could talk about that in our spoiler section as well. But uh, it, it, it was the injustice of that stupid affair the poorly written affair mm. to me that shafted both Cordelia and Oz into the background so for what? Much. For what? I think that Oz and Willow, by the end of the season, I was like back on board, like, oh, they're cute, they're doing it, like that's that's cute. But really, they didn't touch each other for most of the season. And I, I'm not saying that they need to be all over each other for me to believe in their relationship, but Willow screwed him over and then he set boundaries for her, which is really great. But then the last half of the season, we just saw them like researching together and walking hand in hand. And then they have sex. And then they have sex. Exactly. It's like, I feel like we missed out on some key relationship development for them to get them to that next step. It happened to the Zeppo. Everything happened in this. That was a key episode for us. (laughs) No, he was a werewolf in this episode, so it doesn't count. Well, so we, we have a hot stake from Adam about Xander. 
you know, who was the main character for the Zeppo. And Adam says, I think Xander really should have hit rock bottom in season three. I think that his kick his ass line at the end of season two uh, should have come out in some way during the big fight in Dead Man's Party, and that should have alienated him from Buffy and the others for a while. Mm-hmm. The breakup with Cordy should still have happened somehow, and his subplot of the season should have been earning back everybody's trust by actually growing as a person and realizing that he's been a major creep. Never would have happened due to Xander being Whedon's self-insert, but it still would have been a nice way to address the problems with Xander as a character instead of just acting like they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I hear yeah. what you're saying, Steph, and I, I think one of the reasons that Willow and Oz and the Willow, Oz, Xander, Cordelia affair subplot doesn't work very well is because it feels like this season puts a lot of weight on developing Xander's character, right? We see that with the Zeppo um, later on in the season. Something's happening between him and Anya that's a little bit weird, mm-hmm. and he he also takes on more responsibility you know, he's point guy. <laughs> As key it was guy. graduation key guy. day. <laughs> Sorry, key guy. He's key guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do. I get the sense that Whedon kind of steered the writers into giving Xander a lot more development at the expense of Willow and Oz's relationship. Well, isn't it so interesting? I would say they put more effort into developing Xander and Oz's friendship after the affair than they did with Willow at all because Willow and Oz like oh we're back on track great and then we had a couple episodes that you and I pointed out where we're like oh Xander and Oz are like hanging out they're getting along Oz is giving Xander advice like there's a couple of scenes like that and aside from a couple of rocky moments right after they're discovered cheating Xander and Willow never really get to have a conversation on screen about where they're at with their friendship like what the hell (laughs) we need to extend season three we need like a a couple of uh episodes after graduation day during the summertime when everybody's just like moping around and resolving their issues low point for the season 100 percent for me was the affair and the fallout of the affair because i just don't see the point of it agreed i don't see the point of it at all but uh a highlight of course is the Bangel development <laughs> and we um we have a comment from kbun83 on instagram who said as sad as it was to see the end of Bangel, there was so much maturity in angel and buffy walking away from each other it really showed how much angel cared for buffy to want something better for her even if it meant not being with her the scene where buffy cries on willow's lap saying i feel like i can't breathe still breaks me today the grief she feels the heartache is so raw and i agree because like that relationship earned that breakup, if that makes sense. Yes. No, I was, that's literally what I was going to say because I think that, you know, it's a truism in television that you can't have happy characters in a relationship, right? Like once, once your characters get together, where's the conflict going to be? And, and I think that's a little bit of a, a cop out. I think that there's plenty of room for conflict in an otherwise happy relationship. But anyway, um, as much as some people, might think that Buffy and Angel are soulmates, including Sarah Michelle Geller. And me. Um, if they, <laughs> Twin flames. If they had stayed together for all seven seasons of Buffy, it would have limited the storytelling options of the writers, right? So they had to break up at some point. Yes. And of course, at this point in season three, like they all knew David Boreanaz is going on to star in a spinoff. <laughs> like, they have to break up. But... I often get angry at TV relationships for breaking up characters with really like convoluted and contrived mechanisms where it's like there's a miscommunication or 
one of them lies to the other one, mm-hmm. and they don't really want to break up, but then they do. Yep. Um, so you and, and Kbon83 are completely right. This is a really well done breakup. The reason is so legitimate. Like they 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 legitimately cannot be together, at least not in the long term. I think you and I had a good conversation about how like maybe they could have stuck it around <laughs> yeah, forever. Yeah, like five years at least. Like yeah. Come on. Um, but like there were legitimate barriers to them having a happy and healthy relationship, and yeah, it, like it ends very well. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's not a case of, like, Angel unilaterally saying, oh, you know, we can't be together. Like, Buffy knows it, too. She's just a lot more – she's wearing her heart on, on her sleeve about yeah. it. Angel's crying in his bedroom at night listening to sad music. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's listening to emo music in his bedroom. Yeah, I, that, so I'm with you. This is, like, you know, one of my top TV breakups for sure. I love that. Yes, I love that you said that, Cara. It's, like, one of my top TV relationships because the breakup is part of it. Like, we see the whole yeah. m- maturity – of that relationship and i don't think it would have happened had angel not lost a soul gone to hell and come back because angel is at the end of the day a hero and when he comes back from hell it does come down to what is angel's purpose and i said this before like the mayor as much as we don't like him because he's a villain wasn't wrong when he said is being her boyfriend your purpose is that why you came back from hell so to see Angel's story arc in this season, like, why am I here? Why do I deserve to live? What do I have to do to make amends for all of the pain I've caused? The very characters on the show, but like thousands of people out in the world who have felt the repercussions of Angelus's evil. How do you make up for that? Well, the answer is you don't. You just have to work day by day to matter, to make what you've done matter by saving others' lives. And we're going to I don't like, are we ever going to follow Angel to LA and follow Cordelia too? I really want to because I love those characters. And I think that they've set themselves up. We'll find out. We'll find out. They've set themselves up for a really fascinating beginning to their spinoff because Cordelia is kind of a lost soul right now. She's no longer who she was at the beginning of the series either. And Angel has to go and find his purpose. And as much as it pains me to see him leave this show, I want that for him. And I'm a big believer Mm -hmm. that if you are going to grow as a person, you need to go through some of the stuff alone. And Buffy experiencing a heartbreak as tragic and as intense as she is right now with Angel leaving is actually very important for her to grow up. And you're going to be stronger, girl. (laughs) Yeah, right? Stronger than yesterday. Uh, But that's it's so true. Honestly, it's so true. The two of them going off and living their lives and finding their purpose and embracing their destiny separately is only going to make them stronger if they ever come back together. So I'm I'm for this. It needs to happen. But it's so sad to watch him go. Oh, it's so sad to watch Angel go. Speaking of sad to watch people go, like you said, let's take a moment to just memorialize Cordelia because <sighs> this is it. She, you know, minor spoiler, she doesn't come back because she's on Angel. Mm-hmm. So yes, if you go watch Angel, if you, you start watching Angel after this, you get more Cordelia and she's fantastic. Cara, I want to watch but... Angel. <laughs> I miss Cordelia already. I love her. Right? Yeah. Like this is the thing is, is she was such a fixture for the first three seasons of Buffy and the the prospect now that we have four seasons without this wonderful character. And I know that some, some of our listeners think we're too hard on Xander and too soft on Cordelia. 
you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot, uh, don't but we? But <laughs> even if you're right, we don't care. You're um, wrong. <laughs> I've really enjoyed seeing Cordelia's growth from this somewhat one-dimensional bully, this foil to Buffy of, you know, this is who Buffy could have been if she hadn't become a slayer and kind of taken on more responsibility. I loved seeing her turn into this ally for the Scoobies, a member of the Scoobies. I enjoyed seeing her fall for Xander and seeing that side of her realize that, like, maybe there are things worth giving up being popular for if you follow your heart. And then, of course, we see how that works out for her. <laughs> Everyone makes <Poor> mistakes. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> makes mistakes. And, you know, by the end of season three, she's gone through this hardship with her father, um, being arrested for tax evasion and they lose their house. So she has no like, you know, wealth anymore. So she's having to like find a job and figure out what she's going to do for, you know, post high school. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I really feel for Cordelia and the way that she develops. And I just, I just, I enjoyed having her around for these three seasons. I'm going to miss her. We'll miss you so much, Cordelia. And I, I do want to say as much, I do want to say how important her character growth is in how different it is from the others. Because really, when you think about it, Willow, Xander, Buffy, every one of them has grown from being whatever way that they feel insecure, they grow out of, or they're coming to grow out of it by the end of season three from season one. Cordelia went the other way. She was a bully. She was a popular girl. At, at the end of season three, She's none of those things anymore. I mean, she she has a biting tongue, of course. Like, her, her bully nature is still there. But that's what I love about Cordelia yeah. is she, of all the characters in this show, she is the only character who will tell it to you straight. She doesn't lie to you. No. You know where you stand with Cordelia. Yeah. Because she says what she thinks. And we, we saw that in <laughs> Earshot. Literally, she says what she's thinking. Yeah, yeah. And I love that honesty for her because... I would rather spend time around a Cordelia who's mad at me than around a different type of person who might also be mad at me, but paints it over with a smile on their face and just grits their teeth and tries to move past it without inviting me into their feelings, right? So I appreciate that Cordelia, she has a directness about her, but I also see it as a kind of vulnerability where... She isn't afraid, you know, like look at her and Wesley. We talked about how there, there's a little bit of a weird dynamic there, but I admire the fact that Cordelia knows what she wants and she is willing to be vulnerable in front of everybody, right? Like anytime Wesley's around, mm-hmm. she is throwing herself at him. She's swooning over him. When he's not around, she's asking after him. When he gets hurt, she's like, how did you, how could you let this happen to Wesley? Like she's wearing her heart on her sleeve. There's no embarrassment on her part over the fact that she's chasing after this slightly older guy. Um, She knows what she wants. She's not self-conscious about it. But she is willing to put herself out there and be vulnerable. And I I admire that. It's also interesting how she's so wrong about her assessment of that relationship, you know, which which also goes yeah. to show that she's still young too, right? She's still an 18-year-old girl. And then they have one kiss and they're like, yep, oh, okay, it's over. Oh, wow, no. Uh, I just think it's really important to see the, the development of a character who, who, who grew out of being a bully because I think that's also really realistic in real life, right? As much as people find confidence outside of high school, Cordelia is now in a different place than where she was at the beginning and I'm sad that we're not going to see her 
you know, see where she ends up from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as much as some people came for us to say that we're not mean enough to her, I don't regret a thing. I think adoring Cordelia the last three years was a necessary treat for this rewatch and yeah, long live Queen Cordelia. <laughs> okay, I think before we get into our spoilers, really the last thing we need to talk about is Faith. And I, I know that we are going to have a whole episode after this called Faith on Trial. So we're not going to get too much into this, listeners, but it's coming. Don't worry. Um, but we do have a hot stake here from Abigail. Uh, And they say, you two have talked a lot about how Cordelia, Kendra, and Faith have all served as Buffy's foils, demonstrating how Buffy may have turned out if her circumstances were different. Another foil pairing I noticed on this rewatch is Giles versus the Mayor, and how they father their respective slayers. Although Giles has his fair share of missteps, hello helpless, He mostly represents a healthy parental figure for Buffy. He challenges her to help her grow into the best version of herself, and he holds her accountable when she breaks his trust. But he also forgives her when she makes mistakes and provides kindness and empathy when she's going through tough moments. There are appropriate boundaries between Buffy and Giles, and he supports her as she grows into her role as the Slayer and as a human woman navigating the world without trying to shape her to fit his standards. The mayor, on the other hand, well, you all have already touched on his grooming behaviors and his controlling and opportunistic relationship with Faith. He preys on her insecurities, especially how inadequate she feels compared to Buffy, her history with absent or potentially abusive and neglectful parent figures, and basic human needs, i.e. safe housing, human connection, etc. He also wants to shape her into his standards of beauty and etiquette, behavior, instead of meeting her where she's at or respecting who she truly is. In contrast, Giles may express exasperation with Buffy sometimes, as we see in his snarky comments in his Watcher diary. Oh, I wish we had more of We need more, yeah. But he sees her for who she is at her core, not who he can shape her to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Nailed and it. I wanted to bring, yeah, I wanted to bring up Faith in the context of her relationship with these characters and with Giles and and you know, the mayor and stuff. I think that's a really interesting point you're making, Abigail, which is, you know, the show so obviously wants to position the mayor as this pseudo-surrogate father figure to Faith. Um, It's so creepy, but it's so well done because of the acting, because of the way that Harriet Grainer, uh, you know, performs the mayor's character. He's so affable. We want to like him. And you can see the way that Faith lights up when she's around him. He, I, I hate to say this, he really helps her come into her own. Uh, yeah. But in an evil in a, way. In a, in a bad way, but he does. Like, you, you can't say he doesn't help that development, for sure. We also have two other people who wrote in about Faith that I think we should say now because we're going to be doing Faith yeah. on Trial. So we're going to have a whole conversation about Faith. But Vicky Laurentina on Instagram said, in the third season, the creator wanted to deliver the message about the danger of abusive inner child and the impact was displayed in Faith. The story combined this inner child problem with the misabuse of political authority, which is represented by the mayor. But I feel unsatisfied about the Watcher Council, which in the beginning looked snobbish, but then eventually failed to handle and anticipate Faith at the for the rest of the season so yeah i agree they were as much as the watchers council fancies themselves like the authority on the slayer they really mishandled 
a slayer that went rogue. <laughs> I, I mean, is is not the message of season three, men are a big disappointment? Yeah. <laughs> the message of the series, perhaps? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Except Oz. Except for Oz and, you know, Angel in a lot of ways. Uh, but... Angel, actually, there's someone named Angel on Twitter who wrote to say, it sucks that in interviews, it's revealed that Eliza Dushku interpreted and played Faith as being bi. She was supposed to have a romance with Buffy, but it was not allowed. It sucked that we were queer baited so brashly. In addition, uh, when we talk about Scott Hope in the follow up comics, it's later made the butt of the joke and his behavior in the season explained. Be- oh, this is a spoiler. Is it though? Is it? I mean, I know it comes up in season seven, but that's so far away and we never see Scott Hope again. I feel like we could say. Okay, that. sorry. A little spoiler here, everybody, but Scott Hope is gay and he comes out off screen in season seven uh who's <sighs> scott hope i don't know who this person's talking about yeah i forgot about scott hope <laughs> yeah we we talked a lot about the bi coding yes and queer coding here the subtext you know a lot of our listeners have written in hot stakes it's, it's definitely there but um, was it meant to be I there like we see it we see it and of course eliza dushku is saying that she played it by but was it supposed to be there i think there's there's a question that I don't, I'm not sure the answer to. I say it's, yeah, I say it's definitely there. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be it's there, there, but it is there. It's there, and but is it, is it supposed to be yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what would we have had if the show were, you know, if we had Buffy nowadays, right? We talk about rebooting Buffy. It's like, what a, what a wonderful lovers to enemies trope that would be if Buffy and Faith hook up and then Faith turns evil, you know? Mm. I mean, that would be a sad track record for Buffy. <laughs> all her partners turn evil. Jeez, jeez, um. jeez. Yeah, been there, done that. Um, but yeah, that would have been fascinating. There's, I mean, there's so many. I bet there's a lot of fun fan fiction out there that kind of follows those paths. But um, yeah, the last thing I'll say about Faith here is just I really, you know, I regret that. Like, I love Faith as a character, uh, especially what happens with her later on. I regret that we lost Kendra. I, I I don't want to erase Faith. I wish we could have had both of them, but it really sucks that this show killed off Kendra in season two and replaced her with Faith because I guess having another white girl is better than having a, a black slayer on TV. And it's this, it's this little example of the effect of white supremacy on our media. And, you know, I, I just a shout out to Kendra because you're, you time did your time came too soon <sighs> you know and so i don't want to minimize faith but i i do think that this season would have been so interesting if kendra had stuck around and she had turned either if she had turned yes although i don't know if that would have been possible but like, imagine kendra having to like team up with angel against the mayor mm-hmm Mm-hmm. you know or how interesting would it have been had I, I know someone suggested this back i don't know where but they suggested that like what if kendra had been turned by drusilla and then you had a, a vampire slayer all through season a, a three vampire vampire a vampire vampire slayer just like in season one <laughs> nightmares um well but, that was buffy's nightmare yeah yeah but the, so that's what i mean and then she would have teamed up with trick and the mayor and how scary ooh. and awesome that would have been, right? So, ooh, yes. there's a lot of things they could have done with Kendra. I could even see it. I could honestly see her having this rebellion because she was so strictly watched as a potential. Can you imagine and then if she, she had, like, even, yeah, if she had been turned? Yeah. But 
Like, let's say she's not in this season, but if she had come back in, like, a later season as the big bad and, Ooh. you know, we don't know who she is at first. Like, we know, that, but, but, like, Buffy and the gang aren't sure what's going on. And then it's revealed halfway through the season. It's like, you ruined my life. And, you know, like, wow. That, yeah. Somebody write this fanfic. Yeah, you someone... and I, like, we've come up with so many good, like, fanfic ideas oh, and, like, spinoffs. The amount of spinoffs we came up with this season is wild. I mean, back in season two, Halloween, we talked about the Watcher's Diaries, right? Like, where we need to have, yes. like, these, like, anthologies of Watcher Diary stories all through the past couple of millennium of different Slayer stories. I mean, that the the possibilities there are endless but we also have sunnydale er or gray's anatomy or sunnydale anatomy you know that would have been amazing um a xander spinoff that for sure fails <laughs> because no one <laughs> wants to see it and then um um a spinoff of faith and trick together you know um if faith wanted to continue down her path of evil uh but that also could have been replaced with kendra right like just like this dynamic duo come up with all these shenanigans and um uh, cool entrepreneurial schemes. Yeah. So, so listen to our faith on trial episode that's coming out soon where we can go a little bit more. We can go more in depth into faith, her story arc and her relationships with the mayor, the Scoobies and Buffy. But for now, let's get through our other, uh, season three wrap up comments before we get to our spoiler section. So we have one from it goes down in the PM, which is an amazing Instagram name. Good for you. Who just says, woot, woot, go Buffy. And I agree. Uh, it's comments like that that keep us going every day. We're like, woo, Buffy. Jess Lou M actually corrected me. I said in the graduation day part one, you know, the teacher, Mr. Miller, that was playing hangman. And we were like, who is this random teacher and how did he survive? Uh, Jess Lou M pointed out that this teacher has been seen before. He's the one that wrote bitch on this on the chalkboard in I only have eyes for you in season two, right? <laughs> like I forget what he exactly wrote. Like, um, don't walk away from me, bitch, or something like that. Right. Um, okay, I see what you mean. He was there, and then I went on Wiki to find out that he was also an in innocence in the background, probably. And then I think he's mentioned again sometime in the future. So that's on us. Like you guys have really sharp eyes that we don't have. Um so Mr. Miller will We'll hear about him again in the future, but we've seen him before. And then we have a hot stake from Katie about the bronze. When Faith says in Enemies that the mayor built this town for demons to feed on, the mayor specifically set up Sunnydale for the entire century for demons, especially vampires, to live. Teens would normally hang out at friends' houses, but private homes require an invite. Therefore, did the mayor create the bronze to be this all-ages club so that vampires could then come and feed off them? And this is especially because the master says they prefer something young. So that's a great idea i don't dispute it i like that idea yeah i just even even if it's not quite like that i do like the idea that the mayor has an influence on the bronze and it's wackadoo menu because (laughs) maybe maybe sunnydale's a dry town you know because we know that the mayor has uh this twisted sense of morality he wants everybody to be clean and proper in like 1950s style right Mm. so we see him drinking milk that one time Maybe nobody's allowed to drink alcohol in Sunnydale. Maybe the bronze doesn't serve alcohol to anybody because they're not allowed to. I know we have that one episode where Anya gets carded um, for trying to order a rum and coke. But, you know, like maybe the bronze just doesn't serve alcohol. And maybe that's why it's an all ages friendly club is because 
the the mayor is enforcing this kind of like wholesome atmosphere where it's like yeah teens can hang out next to 30 year olds and nothing bad's going to happen because that's the town that the mayor's created it's yes it's this awful place where vampires feed on you but when that isn't happening it's all great and sunny <laughs> i like that for the high school part of the series for sure to think that it's a dry town <laughs> and i wonder <laughs> if uh going into the future we'll see more substance abuse i mean the mayor's gone the mayor's gone um, so in comes the beer you know <laughs> okay are we ready to bring on the spoilers let's do it let's talk about spoilers and the first spoiler i want to talk about is remember in choices when we were talking about Ooh, we wish this was a spoiler episode because there's so many things that happen in this episode that i think you influence want to talk about willow the future yeah i want to talk about willow um, yeah, yeah. But around that episode of Choices, remember the whole, we need to save Willow now and worry about the consequences later. Well, okay, the consequence was that Snyder died, Larry died, a couple of other people got eaten, and I don't think everyone survived that blast. I don't, of the school. <laughs> um, especially Catherine the Great, the cheerleading trophy. Um, but there were a lot of consequences to choosing to exchange Willow for the box because the mayor did ascend and people died. Uh, So I wanted to say that in that episode, but obviously couldn't. But it just goes to show like, yeah, you guys saved Willow, but there are a lot of things that happen after that choice that uh, impact the rest of the series. Not only does Willow stay and she remains a series regular, goes to university with Buffy, but Harmony gets bitten in the season finale and we see later that she becomes a vampire but that's the best especially when she shows up in angel it's it's the best it's the best we love harmony we're gonna see more of harmony and we're really excited for that but it is tragic that she lost her life that day and i can't not say that it's a result of them choosing not to destroy the box of Gavrock. Yeah, they, they should have just sacrificed Willow. Nobody <laughs> likes her. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about Willow because, I mean, again, we saw in this season her need to lean into magic if something's mm. going wrong. The biggest part of that was her willing to cast a, a spell of some sorts on her and Xander to delust them. And we talked about consent then. We said, hey, Xander didn't know this was going to happen. Then he learned from Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered in season two that, well, I don't know if he learned it, but you need to get consent <laughs> from people before you cast spells on them. And we know that Willow's going to continue this pattern into the future with Tara, mm-hmm. with all these, with, there's going to be a couple times in the future where this is going to blow up in her face. So, the magic was, I think, put on the back burner for a lot of her relationship developments in this season, but it's still there. And her need to feel confident and powerful in magic is still growing in her throughout the season. Yeah, well, it's it's this huge thing in, I forget the episode now, when Buffy decides to go to, to UC Sunnydale, right? And Willow, Choices. There we go, Choices. Mm. And Willow also decides to go there. She wants to be a part of the team. She wants to keep up with Buffy. And I think she feels like magic is her way of doing that, right? She's like, I want to be this badass Wicca because if she doesn't, then she's not going to be powerful enough to stand next to Buffy against the face of evil, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Willow's putting pressure on herself to to shape herself into somebody who's useful 
not oh. only to Buffy as a friend, but as the Slayer. But remember in Earshot, her inner monologue was like, soon she'll be so powerful, she doesn't need me anymore. Yeah. So for sure. There, there's a, not selfish, but there's an insecure aspect to Willow. Um, and I, I think we could see that if we want to get all psychological, right? Like we can see that from her being an only child and having two parents who are if not neglectful of her, then just very absent-minded about her. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think Willow has grown up believing that her pathway to success is to be smart, to be useful, you know, to endear herself to the people around her. We kind of see that in season one, where she gets in with Buffy. Buffy kind of protects her from bullying at first, and then Willow starts making herself useful to Buffy in various ways. And standing up for herself. Yeah, and a lot of the conflict that happens between Willow and Buffy later on in the show is a result of Willow starting to stand up for herself and make choices based on what she wants. And I think that's new for Buffy. I think Buffy gets used to Willow being her yes girl. Mm -hmm. And although we have have examples of Willow standing up to Buffy in these seasons, it's not, you know, it's not the norm. And then later on in the show, the roles reverse, especially when Buffy comes back from the dead. And then we get into season seven, right? And there's a point in the season where Willow sides with Faith over Buffy. And it's just like, whoa. Yeah. And I think you hit it when you said that it's this insecurity in her and her need to feel valued. Because we saw in this season, we never met her father, but we saw in the season her, her mother definitely doesn't value her. And Xander didn't value her in the way she wanted him to for a really long time. So by the time he started to, she threw away the only guy that ever really did value her for exactly who she is. So we're going to see that continue, her need to be valued and to feel needed and powerful as we go into the college years. And another thing I was thinking about while watching this dynamic with Oz, or should I say lack there dynamic of Oz, is we know Willow's going to come out. And I'm looking forward to it in season four. Her relationship with Tara is going to help persuade that part of her to come out. But I was thinking to myself, as much as I was complaining that there wasn't enough action between Oz and Willow, action just in that they were not very coupley at all. We didn't get that development, as we already said. But perhaps we're already seeing the inklings of Willow just not being as sexually attracted to him as she will be to Tara later in the next season, right? Like, she's just not as physically uh, stimulated by him as one would think. So I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious to watch season four and watch this relationship develop um i'll be sad to watch oz go but it's going to be really exciting to see willow absolutely uh embrace this side of her while also embracing the good side of magic because i think a lot of the magic she does in season four is for the better and well i mean we'll find out but my memory of it is that it's not as detrimental (laughs) to people as it is later season four is definitely the excitement of Mm -hmm. magic right it's the high (laughs) and then season five and six are the come down. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so we have a hot stake from Hannah on Twitter uh, about Willow and Oz and relationships in this show. So Hannah says, I only realize it now being a single woman in university, how much these characters are defined by their romantic relationships. To me, the writing makes it seem as though they are not whole unless they are with someone. For example, look at Willow. She was seen in high school as a loser until she started dating Oz. And then she had the confidence to start defending herself. 
Xander's coolness was in part defined by the fact that he wasn't able to get a girlfriend until Cordelia, and we saw how that went. His coolness proportionality plummeted, but nothing demonstrates this more than Buffy. She spends three-ish seasons brooding after Angel, and when it's over in season four, it cuts to her being in college and feeling so peripheral. Now Willow is the one with the boyfriend who knows everything, this time about the campus, and Buffy feels like a third wheel. And when Oz breaks up with Willow, she's all mopey and none of the Scoobies support her through it. It just feels like the characters are never really comfortable being single. There's such a rush to be in a relationship to complete yourself. Buffy is so desperate for a normal boyfriend that she blindsides herself to the fact that she would have to lie the whole time if he was truly a regular guy. I just feel like they could all use a little me time. And we know that they have worth beyond the romantic relationships. It breaks my heart that they don't act like it. Mm. I like that a lot. And I'm excited to see single Buffy for a little bit to see exactly like where she becomes more peripheral, right? Where she's like taking in the fact that she's alone for the first time. And what does that mean for her? However, isn't that like kind of about being young is that you do kind of feel like you need to jump into a relationship sometimes. Not all of us. No, 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 not all of us. But I think when you're used to being in a relationship, a lot of people I know, when they leave it, they automatically search for for, for another person. And I think that's part of being young. And you got to learn how to be alone. And I agree with Hannah that it would be really nice to see them owning singledom <laughs> and being single. I do think it is pretty realistic, though, in, in university to always be on the hunt for the next one. <laughs> I wonder if this is also related to the timing of the, the show's production. You know, I, I think it really wasn't until post-Buffy in like the mid to late 2000s that we started seeing a lot more uh, women-centric shows that made it okay to be single and be happy, right? Like, I think there are more shows these days that allow women to be more than just people hungry for romance yeah 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 uh i mean also we have to remember it's a teen show right so romance and making connections no not boo yay um but romance and making connections in in the romantic way is just part of the genre and it's something that we're we're gonna we're gonna watch and as soon as these kids are single it's for sure it's like okay who's next who's next right (laughs) and they're not all gonna stay next is riley and (laughs) i'm not into it I'm not into it either, but I am, I said this on our live stream for our one year anniversary. Um, I'm going into it with an open mind because I want to see what the, what the writers are, have in store for us with Riley. But I, I, I will say it up front that my memory of Riley and their relationship is that Buffy needs a normal guy relationship in her life. She needs it in that Every other relationship is going to be super toxic in a lot of ways. So maybe this is going to be her chance to get with a normal guy and have right, normal sex but, life. And but he's not a normal guy. Thing. Like the show sabotages that because <laughs> yeah, he yeah, ends yeah, up yeah. being this drugged up super soldier experiment, right? Like, yeah. Even hey. if what you're saying is true, it's like he's not a normal guy. No, he's not a normal guy. But I, he turns out to be not a normal guy. But I think the appeal of him at the beginning is, okay, here's Buffy's chance to experiment with a normal human, an Owen-like character, you might say, <laughs> um, oh, uh, until until it takes a turn. Um, 
the film room on Instagram mentioned that the, her husband is already pulling out the hot stakes for season five, um, meaning that he's like really looking forward to when we get there. Uh, and I agree because season five, in, in a lot of ways, season four is transitioning us into the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. And season five is really when we're going to get to the meatiness of <laughs> Riley and Buffy. I think we're going to see a lot of like, oh, right. okay, this is wholesome. This is, this is, this is college. This is, this is your college boyfriend for sure. A lot of that feeling I'm suspecting, but we'll have to come back in a year and see how I feel about <laughs> this conversation Agreed. after we watch Riley in season four. But I don't ever recall hating Riley in season four. We'll work on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll get there. Don't worry. I look I look for problems in men wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> like I I yeah, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people on the Discord have um like like pointed out that Riley's definitely less forgivable in season five, because in season four he's under the influence of these, you know, mind altering drugs and body altering drugs. And he, he's under the psychological influence of Maggie Walsh, right? So there are there are extenuating circumstances. And at some point, we will do Riley on trial. We're not quite sure when yet, but we will get there. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll be interesting to kind of talk about season four Riley versus season five Riley. But yeah, I don't know. I've, I've said this before. Season four, always a low point for me, but I do like it more every time i watch it so i'm so excited to watch it with you steph i feel like we're gonna have some amazing conversations finally we've never had an amazing conversation yet yes yeah, so i've been waiting for us to get into finally gonna get into some amazing conversations um yeah i i'm so excited to see how my appreciation for season four continues to improve and you know what my opinions shape themselves into despite not quite having the same open mind as you do about certain <laughs> things i'm oh. excited for college honestly like i feel like i'm gonna get such nostalgia because i also went to residence and i i had a roommate and I, Ooh, i'm just excited okay. for all that i have a feeling it's gonna be pretty relatable in what they go through Interesting. in residence. Yeah. So you and I had some very different college experiences, yeah, right? So yeah, we can yeah, talk yeah. about that in season four. I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay, but we also need to talk about two major players that come into season four, probably to fill in the gap that Cordelia and Angel are leaving. It is Anya comes as a series regular at some point, and then Spike comes back to right. Sunnydale. And so it begins. <laughs> so it begins. Um, hey, I'm excited for Anya. I'm excited to see her get incorporated into the group and what that dynamic's going to be. Because my memory serves that she doesn't get incorporated right away. It's something that no. has to be worked on. And you and I have talked before about Willow's jealousy of Anya or her mistrust of Anya, which I think stems from the wish. But also it's the fact that she's romantically involved with Xander. And Willow has always had a problem with people romantically involved with Xander. So I'm curious to see how that relationship with Willow, but also with the Scoobies in general, will play out. But then, of course, Spike returns. So the chip, the infamous chip, I cannot wait for us to start discussing Spike's impotence <laughs> and how, like, ah. Uh, oh, I have such mixed feelings about this because Spike is really good in season four in my memory. He's a funny villain, and that's what we want. We want Spike to be this thorn in the side of Buffy. Well, because once again, he comes back in season four, and we're like, oh, is Spike finally going to be the big bad? Because that was what he was introduced as in season two. Mm -hmm. You know, 
he kills Colin. Yeah. R.I.P. Colin. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Colin. And then it's this bait and switch where suddenly it's not Spike who's the big bad, it's Angelus. They do the same thing to us in season four. They bring Spike back. And at first we're like, oh, Spike's going to be the big bad in season four. Finally. And then they bait and switch. And yeah. as you say, they, they render Spike literally impotent. Yeah. And they bring in the initiative and Adam and stuff. And that's really the turning point for his character. And, you know, a lot of sources have talked about how Spike wasn't supposed to be this recurring character. Joss Whedon at some points wanted to kill Spike off because he didn't like Spike and he didn't like the the flirtatiousness of this evil character with Buffy. Mm -hmm. But Spike was just so popular that he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I have to keep bringing him back. Yeah. So I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how you know, knowing what we know about Spike in later seasons, does that affect, you know, our rewatch versus maybe I, I really would. And I know the first time watchers are not listening to this section, but I would really love to hear from people who are watching the show for the first time, seeing this development of Spike, because I, I don't remember what it was like not uh, knowing what happens with Spike after this. I am looking forward to it. I, I do think that his brief entry into season three right lovers walk he did come into season three for that one episode and it was so fun because he was miserable and pathetic yeah. and that is the spike we want to see so i think <laughs> the when the writers leaned into that for season four because when he comes back and he's chipped uh same kind of idea right like oh you're just so pathetic like get it together you know yeah. what i mean like this is the spike that we like to well, see and, and <laughs> my favorite part of spike in season four is when he plays the yoko right mm. to the scoobies and he tries to break them all up and it's um <laughs> it's great because it's like spike is like yes i get to be evil again yes yeah and, it, and honestly it's not his fault that he doesn't succeed right it's not his fault that the scoobies saw it coming and work to mitigate it he would have succeeded if it weren't for them and their little dog um <laughs> but you know i just i yeah spike is he, as i have said before i am not necessarily on board with spuffy but Spike, despite being evil, is an amazing character. Yes. And it's understandable why they keep bringing him back, why he becomes such an integral part of this show. Uh, I'm not mad about it. So. I'm not mad about it either. Spike is oh. a great character. Uh, I, like The storyline's not so great, I think. But I am glad, like bringing it back to our season three wrap-up, I am glad that Spike was not part of season three. I think it's nice to have yeah. his cameo. That was a really nice episode. Uh, not the best episode of the season, in my opinion, but like... Spike doesn't fit into high school. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. You, you need Buffy to be at a point of maturity where she can uh, interact with him on a more even footing. And Spike doesn't work in the high school setting. We saw that in School Hard, right? Like... Mm -hmm. He is this huge disruption to high school. And Buffy is too young at this point to really deal with Spike as anything approaching an equal. Later on in the series, you know, age gaps aside, Buffy is much more of an adult and she can confront Spike and um, talk to him in a way that she wasn't really ready to do in season three. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why Spike and Buffy's dynamic works so much better in later seasons. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a feeling that when he showed up in season three in Lover's Walk and Buffy literally called him out for being pathetic and like a loser, uh, that is the dynamic that the writers were like, we need more of that. Like we need more of this essence and that's what is, they're going to bring forward into the next season. And I am looking forward to that. I'm I, well, Spike is a welcome addition to the show. 
when they play him right. <laughs> like when he does these comedic things, I think he's great. Yeah, but other, other than that, like the spoiler section, I think when Faith comes back as well, which is, um, you know, she wakes oh, up from yeah. her coma and she comes back. So good. Ooh, like we're going to see that play out. And that's a really fun storyline in season four as well. And I don't think we ever on this show see Faith come to terms with her actions in season three. But perhaps you and I, I will be... we'll just have to maybe consider doing it. Maybe we'll part. think about it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, we can wrap it up here by just saying there's a lot to look forward to in season four that we got hints of. Uh, in terms of Spike and Harmony and all these things in season three. But I am so sad to leave the high school years. I'm excited for college. It's going to be a fun change. But ugh, wrapping up seasons three, which also feels like wrapping up the first half of the series, the first inaugural seasons is hard. And one year, one year of our podcast, you know, we just did our live show. Um, It's like overwhelming in the best possible way. It's amazing. And I actually want to read one more message from Emily, who wrote in to tell us, happy birthday, Prophecy Girls. And she says, I just want to say a huge thank you for doing the podcast. It's been my weekly companion while I'm while I've been on maternity leave. Her baby is just a few weeks older than our show. And some days it's been the only thing that made me feel human. Buffy is my comfort food, and I've lost count of how many rewatches I've gone through since I first got sucked in as a preteen watching from England in the late 90s. It's the show that always brings me back to myself, and I needed that more than ever after the tectonic identity shift of becoming a mother. Your podcast helped me more than you'll ever know during a year in which I've often felt isolated by new parenthood and also by COVID. It's been the soundtrack to many a walk, pushing a stroller around my neighborhood, drowning out a fractitious nap-fighting baby who may be a vampire as she's not a fan of sleeping during the day. So thank you for grounding me, reminding me who I am, giving me adult conversation, laughter, and something to look forward to every week. I'm very grateful and will be buying you guys a coffee when I'm earning again. Um, Emily, not necessary, but that honestly... This message, Kara, hit me. And you know, because I sent it to you immediately and was like, I'm in tears. Yeah. And it's because, like you just said, one year, it's overwhelming how much we've done in a year. But also, it's overwhelming that we started this podcast in COVID. And we're we're exiting COVID in one way or another at the moment. But for the whole year, like you and I would have seen each other in person at some point had COVID not been happening. Because I would have traveled to Thunder Bay mm. or, or something like that. Emily's message hit me so hard because, ugh, like it's just been a hard year for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. So this podcast brought joy to my life in doing it and a passion project and something creative that I do that's really fun with with a good friend. And that's really special. But the fact that we're bringing meaning to other people's lives and helping them through something like COVID and through being a new mother it just hit me. So Emily, thank you for writing that in. It just, it just, it just, it's, it's so much. And like, just as an example, like my sister had a baby over COVID too. I've not met her yet. I've not met my niece. I've met her sister, (laughs) but um, uh, there's a, there's a new baby in my family and I've not gotten to meet her yet. So the isolation that one can feel during times like this is, is real. And just like, just like Buffy's pain and the prom it's real and raw. Um, (laughs) And I'm glad that this podcast, I'm glad that podcasting in general and podcasts out there help people feel connected. 
I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it now, but I'm so <laughs> I'm so grateful for this podcast. I'm so grateful that we've finished season three and we're moving into season four. There's still four seasons ahead of us, which is a good like two years ahead of us. And then Angel, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Nothing definite yet, listeners. But the only reason it's not definite is because it is going to take us two years to finish off Buffy, right? So it's not that we don't want to do Angel. We just don't want to make any promises we can't keep if, like, something happens over the next two years. You know, Steph and I get into a big feud and we split acrimoniously. <laughs> Our villain years. <laughs> yeah. But no, but it's, it's messages like that. And the, the honestly, like, so many messages from everybody um, that send us support and love. It makes us excited to keep going after one year. Like, we're not tired. We're, if anything, we're just more invigorated. It, it's great. It's really great. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, speaking of Buy Me A Coffee supporters, last week we shouted out Destiny as one of our new chosen ones. Uh, and Destiny wrote in with favorite characters and Buffy episode and uh, says her favorite characters are Spike, um, she says, Buffy can have Angel. I want Spike. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and Tara, whom we will meet finally in season four. Mm -hmm. uh, Destiny says, Tara deserved so much more. I agree, Destiny. And her favorite episodes are, one's more with feeling. She calls it a basic choice, but I sang under your spell in my middle school talent show. What a song for them to let me sing. <laughs> Good for you, Destiny. Also, basic things are basic for a reason. They're like the, right? they're most popular things. You, you love that pumpkin spice episode of Buffy. Okay? Oh, oh, I eat the fall <laughs> episodes up. <laughs> Apple, cinnamon, um, pumpkin spice. Her, her other favorite episodes are The Body, So Sad But So Good, she says, and um, Hush and The Wish, right? So... Again, you know, like, yeah, these are these are fairly common favorite episodes, but they're common for a reason. Um, you know, we're not going to judge people for their favorite episodes because they're the ones that speak to you. So thanks for sharing, Destiny. And thank you to all of our supporters uh, over the year. We, you know, I I'll just say it now. Kara was the one who was like, we should do a buy me a coffee. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I've never done that before. And you spearheaded that whole, you know, that whole section of our podcast. And like, I'm so overwhelmed with how generous and nice people are about it like it's great yes. <laughs> we are excited to keep bringing you more interesting things uh thanks to the support that we receive especially big shout out to our chosen ones lizzie emma hannah tara molly Taza, alexandra kyle kayla and destiny all right we'll see you guys next week for the beginning of season four thanks for listening to prophecy girls if you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.